This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, good afternoon in New York, right? Uh, it's March 1st. I don't know. Is that the, the Ides of March or something? I'm not sure, Gloria. Possibly. Good morning. Well, uh, it's, uh, last week we talked a little bit about the sun, and I just want to say a little bit more about the fact that there may not be a little, a lot of sunlight for you bereaved folks out there in March. And Hadi and I, uh, talked on the last show about getting some light. And I would suggest that you might, um, think about doing that, whether you get yourself a sunlight lamp or, and Hadi, you were talking about tanning beds were said to help people, which I thought they were a bad rap, but, uh, you know. I, I know, I don't, I don't want to advocate here for tanning lamps because like I've said, I do, I've had skin cancer. However, they have said that tanning lamps three days a week for 20 minutes, and that's it. That's your max. Actually, there's been a correlation between a decrease in depression with people that have done this. Now, I'm just saying if, if it's gotten to that point where you just feel like you don't feel good at all, just to give yourself a little bit of light. I mean, and even get outside, you know, because we tend to hole up in the winter when it's cold out. Force yourself to get out. I force myself to go to Central Park a few days a week. Just because you're outside and you're getting some some direct sunlight, it's really really important for your body. Yeah, and you know uh, they've been talking a lot about. There've been some studies recently about people are lathering on the sunscreen, and uh, one of the things that's happening is uh, people are getting a, sh- a shortage of vitamin D, and uh, so they're recommending that people take some vitamin D or again that twenty minute thing, go out in the light without sunscreen. Of course, you don't have to worry about that in New York right now, do you, Heidi? wearing sunscreen, but, um, you know, if you're in a warmer climate, go out for 20 minutes without sunscreen um, and get, get some sunlight probably three days a week too. So, well, Heidi, it's important for us to really get on. Oh, one thing, last thing I wanted to say is it is March now and Heidi and I will be in Frankfurt, Kentucky at uh, the regional conference of the Compassionate Friends and we'll be doing a keynote and doing workshops. So I hope you're all checking uh, around Frankfurt and, and come and visit us. March 23rd to March 25th, you can go on the Compassionate Friends national site and you'll see a link for their Kentucky chapter and you can come and sign up. And please join us if you're if you're in the neighborhood at all. So Heidi, as I said, this is an important topic today because uh, what about God after the loss of a child? And I know that that's a big issue for people. So we have got a great guest today. You want to talk about our guest? I would love to. We have had Al Johnson on before in the past, and I absolutely loved what he had to say because he's honest, upfront. He's an Episcopal priest, and the thing about it is, a lot of our listeners out there are angry at God, they are mad at God, they feel like God has let them down, and they're being told over and over and over again that this is wrong, they shouldn't have these feelings, and they shouldn't feel that way. And Al is here to tell us that, you know what, it's a legitimate emotion to be angry. So Al himself is also a bereaved parent. His seven-year-old son, Nicholas, died from leukemia, and since that time, Al has participated in compassionate friends. He's spoken to many, many groups around the country and worked with thousands of people as they have sought to recover from the tragedy of loss. So welcome again to the show, Al. Thank you very much. Uh, It's great to have you on. Now, I'm going to ask you a question we asked you last time, 
that you were on the show. And, uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> and I, Heidi and I still remember what you said. We had to laugh. So we'll see if you come up with the same thing. You know, years, Nicholas died, uh, 23 years ago of leukemia a while, uh, quite a while ago. So, and you are no longer an Episcopal priest, right? You've retired. Actually, just for the sake of clarity, I just started to interrupt, but I am a priest. I'm just not serving a church right now. Oh, okay. You're not serving a church right now. All I right. was going to say, Mom, once a priest, always a priest. <laughs> right. That's exactly, you know what, Heidi, thank what? you. <laughs> You're right. It's just like once a parent, always a parent. Some roles we have, and we have them forever. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, when Nicholas died of leukemia, was your faith shaken, and how did that go? Oh, um, you know, it's interesting. Even with more years and time, it's clear to see that my faith was absolutely shaken. But I, what I'd say is that um, that the insti- my kind of institutional doctrinal faith was shaken. What I mean by that is that, you know, I had a concept of God. I had a vision of how I thought things were supposed to work. I had my own deep understanding. If I was a priest, this is what it would mean in terms of how God would work with me and, and things like that. And, and this idea of, um, you know, I, I mean, I understood doctrine, but that all exploded when the reality of the pain of his illness and then what he had to go through and then to see that uh, ultimately he wasn't he wasn't going to live and that he was going to die, and so it it it, uh, it it broke me apart in in ways that now I can say were um, were so very helpful. Uh, I can say now at the time they weren't though, and so they they shattered everything, including what my institutional faith was, and I'd say my personal faith, just how I lived day by day as well. Mm-hmm. So what kind of advice did you give to people before your son died, and, and what kind of advice did you give after? You know, um, I think there are, there are a couple of things that would be different. One is um, I, I, I think that the advice I gave beforehand was uh, well-intentioned but um, not uh, broken in. I, it's easy to say to people, you know, in time, you know, things will get better. Um, that uh, it's easy to say God is present with you in the midst of your losses. It's another thing when you've gone through a loss and and you scream and I scream out and I'm listening for some voice from God back and I don't hear anything or I'm trying to figure out what to do with the angry feelings and things like that. So, um, so you know, on the one hand, uh, beforehand I would I would be a more um, I, I would think I knew what I was talking about afterwards. Um, I knew I didn't know, <laughs> and so I said, I said, less. I don't know if I told you the story last time, but I remember, you know, uh, within a year before Nicholas got the, came down with leukemia, we had a couple, a young couple, had a miscarriage, and, um, you know, I went over and I said all this ridiculous things that people say, not just crazy <laughs> about, you know, that you're young, you're going to have more children, and it wasn't until even after Nicholas died, I went to Compassionate Friends, and began to see the pain on people's faces faces when 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 that when conception didn't bring a child about or brought about a child that died quickly or had had other issues that I realized how how off how off I had been. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Right. It's it's so true because we you know, people think that they are helping us when they say, say things well like, well at least you didn't suffer, at least it was quick, at least you can have more children when in reality that's that's often minimizing what we're going through at the time, right? It, it minimizes, and uh, one of the one of the kind of interesting ironies I find is that while we're when we're deeply in grief and um, so fresh from a child dying, 
uh, we believe that our friends and all and our clergy should all know what to say. And, and the mm-hmm. truth is, is we have to teach them what to say um, because they really don't know how to approach us. And uh, that's part of the reason why now, right now, like when I hear where I live of somebody, at least had somebody, a guy who owns a restaurant that I go to probably once or twice a month, his daughter died from an overdose of heroin. You know, I'm over there. I'm just, I give him my card. I bug him. I'm just kind of there. I don't, you know, I, I want to, I want to be available as he begins to uh, experience the depth of the shattering of his life, the brokenness of his life that's taking place. And most importantly, to be there to help him put it together again. Mm-hmm. I love that you're there. Yeah. And so, you know, with, with that, back to the before and after things is that, um, I think the other thing that before this, you know, um, it's easy to talk about, you know, particularly in the Christian faith, a lot of talk about Jesus and his brokenness and all, all of which I agree with and believe. And um, it's one thing to talk about it, though. It's another thing to have your heart ripped out and have to begin to process what it means to live a broken life mm-hmm. and, 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 to, and to try not to um, cover that up. And, of course, part of the reason people get angry at God is that they don't think the life should be the way it is and they don't like feeling pain, et cetera, et cetera. And um, uh, as you said, I have no uh, no problem with the feelings for him. God's big enough to handle that. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- this ma- the man you were talking about at the restaurant, you know, we Heidi and I have a lot of people who get in touch with us um, who family members have died of substance abuse. And one of the things that, that they say is, there's a shame around it, either substance abuse or suicide or whatever. There's a shame about it that they almost lose track of how the person lived for a while. Um, do, do you have any special advice that you give to people who've had that kind of a loss and seem to be stuck in how it happened? Well, I, I think that, you know, I I think that, um, I, this may not be soothing at all, but comforting, but I think God has a special place in, in, uh, in his heart for particular children that, that, that die as a result of a drug overdose or that, which sometimes is accidental and sometimes not, and die from death by suicide. I mean, I just think that, that for the person that either made the mistake of taking too much drug, which is really what it is, it's a mistake. Um, and we make mistakes all the time. And fortunately, they're not all fatal, but sometimes they are. Or to, or to, or for a, for a person to think that, that the way to resolve the pain of their life is to end their life. I mean, I, I just think that that breaks God's heart open, and uh-huh. uh, as well as the people around the person that um, that uh, that whose life ends in that particular way. And I think that that the struggle we all have, well, all of us have children die. Is we have a hard time realizing that we're, we're powerless over so many things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for instance, we're, we're, we're powerless over drugs, no matter who's taking them. We're powerless over alcohol, no matter who's drinking it. And, and I think that particularly in America, we, we are, we're invited to this place of thinking that we really have control. And, you know, all you have to do is go through this, even if there's an illness like Nicholas, realize, no, you don't have control about much anything. I mean, not only could something happen to one child, it can happen to me, it could happen to my wife. I mean, lots of things can go wrong, and um, it isn't that God protects us from that, and God promises to be with us in the in the mix. I, I love I love what you just said, uh, Heidi. I mean, it's the idea that God's heart is broken open too. That's pretty profound. I think part of the judgment that happens with people is that they want to believe. I think Al's really touching on something important that if I do cer- things a certain way, 
I can control my destiny. I can control my life, and no one around me is going to die. When the reality is, accidents happen, things happen. People, you know, make you know impulsive decisions. People die before their time. These these kind of things happen. Even if we do everything correctly, it still happens. We live in a world that's right. not predictable. Right. And see, uh, Heidi, that is the beginning of faith. To be able to get up each day and try to be creative and helpful and encouraging to other people, knowing that that's true and not trying to pretend it isn't, is where mm-hmm. where the faith that comes out of brokenness begins to get some strength. And I believe you have found, and I know I found this too, that the people want to rely upon that because they realize that there is no going back to whatever false sense of security they had about God, about their own life, and about the events of their life. They know they can't go back. But think about it in, in our lives. I mean, how, how did, I mean, what was normal going to be? You know, what was it going to be? Well, we needed people to help us figure out what that normal would look like. But that new normal can't avoid what we've learned through the experience, which is life is chaotic. It runs its own direction. It doesn't, you know, there's freedom. I, I have a freedom to be on the radio with you or not. You can't just all of a sudden take the freedom away and say, well, now when it comes to my kids, I want everything to work the way I want them to work. It doesn't work mm-hmm. that way. You know, and if I, if I were God, maybe I'd design it differently, but you know what? I'm not. Mm-hmm. So I go back to what you just said, Heidi. That, to me, is that is when faith mm-hmm. begins to be born in it. So, Al, tell me, here I am. I've had a loss. I'm listening to the show, and I'm thinking, I haven't been to church for a zillion years. Uh, can I go back? I mean, uh, can I go back to my roots? I mean, what do you suggest that I do? Where do I get started with God? Oh, I, I think that, you know, that, um, that the interesting thing is to, is, to go, is to go back to where you felt best in terms of community. And use uh, the the entry back to a relationship with God is, in my opinion, through a community of people. If you have a good relationship with a community of people, start with the community of people, and then begin to engage a conversation within yourself and maybe with others about where is it you see God and what is unfolding in your life now, and where is it you begin to see God and what had unfolded to to get you to this place of, or to me, to this place of significant loss. I think that one of the things that keeps changing over the years, Gloria, and if we talk again in a few years, we'll continue to, is that that um, I'm not so sure that doctrinal faith in of itself helps us one way or the other. You know, more often than not, it shames us into inadequacy, and uh, and that is not what God's desire is. God's desire is is that we be healed from the losses that we've experienced over a period of time and by the help of other people, and not that we get the doctrine right or the words right. And so generally for us, the welcome back into faith is a welcome back into relationships with believing people and then see where it takes us. I love that because I remember we were, um, I was talking to someone about my faith and I said, I didn't find, you know, people talk about scriptures and all that. I said, I didn't find the doctrine at all helpful. I, the only thing that helped me was the people. And then the guy I was talking to said, that is, that's it. That's where it is. Right. And, and, you know, here's what I'd say about a clergy person, too, if that, if, if you thought that, if a person thought that that was, who's listening thinks that's important. You know, um, not all of us, not, not all of us, um, are equipped to do every area of ministry. I mean, the truth is, is that some clergy are better with bereavement than others, and some are better with bereaved parents than others. And if you go and talk to somebody and it doesn't work, go find somebody else. 
mm-hmm. because they're n- we're not all able to be to be present. And the truth is, is as much as I think I can be present to all bereaved parents, won't happen because for other personality quirks, it won't work. You know what I mean? Right. So you, you search around for a clergy person to whom you can be open with your questions um, and create that environment in which um, uh, you're free to explore the depth of the loss without any additional shame. I mean, usually all parents have some shame to begin with about this and guilt uh, just because you're not sure what you believe. Mm-hmm. Heidi, that- I, I love that idea, Mom, of searching around for a, a good fit for the clergy. I didn't even think about that. So rather than feeling like, okay, you know what, I have to leave my my place of faith that I've been worshiping, not necessarily. You might just want to search around for a better fit as far as clergy goes, which I never right. even thought of before. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Most of, most of my time with brief parents is working with parents of other faith traditions with their questions about what does it mean for their doctrine of God that their child has died? In other words, how do you build faith after being broken so deeply? And Generally, none of them are Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. And generally, they don't think they can go to their local clergy person. But they're not, they didn't come to St. Michael's because they wanted to join the church. They came to see a bereaved parent who was ordained to help them re-engage believing. They were following a yearning of the heart to, to believe again. You see what I'm getting at? I love so they follow the yearning of the heart. Well, the key is, is if you're going to follow the yearning, you have to find somebody who respects your yearning. Okay, now now we want we get it, and we want you, Al. So uh, tell us, give us some of your advice when I'm ready to start the yearning. I, it sounds to me like you need to write a book or a pamphlet, doesn't he, Heidi? <laughs> I, I love I love the stuff, the things that he's saying. Yeah, I mean, how do we build a relationship again with our faith and with God? when we feel so let down and betrayed? You know, I, I think that the key, though, is the first step is it, you must, I don't, I don't like that language, but I think it's, I feel that strongly about it. It's important to find someone who will take your hand and understand where you are mm-hmm. in your experience and desire. And, and, and work with you from where you are, not come to you and say, I've got it figured out. You walk with me, Heidi, it'll all be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that, you know, basically, depending on how you're structured, you may go along just because you might be that type of person, but eventually you'll find a way to not do that. I had a guy named Roy Hendricks, a holy Joe. This guy was an Episcopal priest. His son had died in the 50s from Ewing sarcoma, this guy met me where I was. He took me by the hand, and I mean, I even get choked up thinking about him. And he walked mm-hmm. me back to faith. Wow. And we're out there. I, I just want your the listeners here. We are out there. People who will take you by the hand and walk you back to some place of faith. We're out there. All right. So, how do I find you? I think you start with your local. I think you start with your local, um, your local church. Uh, you start with a local. If you have, for instance, a like a in, in Illinois, we have the Samaritan Counseling Centers, which are based on faith principles. Uh, you go to Samaritan Counseling Center or a Good Shepherd Counseling Center. 
And it doesn't have to be, it's, I'm not into this necessarily, and I'm not into it at all, being Christian, uh, a Christian, Jewish, Muslim, it could be Hindu, whatever the background is, but you go to places where they begin, and, and they're free to identify themselves as being faithful people. The other thing you can do is, and you, you know, and this is just kind of a, 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 not a bad idea, is you might call local chapters of Compassionate Friends because there are a lot of clergy around who have been through this. Mm. You know, I just did a, I just did a, of all flavors, I just did a, a, a diocese of Southern Virginia, and you know, I got all these great ideas about congregational development in the midst of it. I say, well, one of the things that taught me the most about pain of leadership is the death of my son for leukemia. Of course, I get more people coming up wanting to talk about those experiences uh. than about than about church. And so I discover a guy who whose son died from cancer uh, several years ago, and they built a lodge. And this lodge is for parents to go to. And while he's not a clergy person, he's a deeply religious man. He re- meets people where they are. These little pockets of places are over the place. So you start with compassionate friends, you start with a local church, you start with a, a religious-based counseling center, either a Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever it might be, and you start from there. But you have to remember that the first person may not be the right one. Right. It's really got to be somebody you think will take you by the hand and walk you from where you are. And frankly, it doesn't always have to be um, a clergy person either. Mm-hmm. Um, you might even find a good friend who's a <clears throat> person, excuse me, can do the same thing. Yeah. Well, Al, I wanted to ask you, uh, before we close the show, are there any particular scriptures or rituals that you've liked or seen that you think people might uh, be helpful? I love, uh, there's a story, uh, my, my favorite story about this is, uh, it's in uh, at least uh, two of the four Gospels, it's the healing of the Gerasene demoniac, and um, in particular, that person is possessed and hangs by the tombs. And um, so when I heard uh, John Claypool, who you've heard of before, uh, speak and uh, began to digest this passage, it was a, it was a beautiful passage uh, that related to people who may be so deep in grief that everybody else thought they were crazy. And, that, and mm-hmm. what Jesus does is the model. He comes along and he just sits with this person. And, 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 and when they all come back, he's in his right mind again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's a really powerful story. The garrison demoniac. Favorite scripture from Romans is, I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. Mm. I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed to us. Um, uh, those who come, those who come to mind. And um, what was the other part of the um, I was asking if there are any particular rituals that you. One ritual, one ritual that if a person is even remotely a praying person is very helpful is. If they give the child into, however one understands the divine, in my case, God, is to give the child into God's hands every day, mm-hmm. every day, and, and, and just start the practice. Just start the practice of giving the child. It takes 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not bad for living children also, but it is very helpful for children that have died. Just to, just to know that you're still touching them, you're touching their memory, and you're giving them the best thing you can do, which is give them into your sense of the divine's loving care. And um, because, frankly, uh, I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of say that to yourself? Today I give this child? So, you know, I, I pray to my family, and Nicholas is still a part of my family. And I say, you know, I pray for, um, you know, Vicky and Hannah and Zach and Nick. Uh, 
who I give into God's gracious care for another day. Oh. And I go on to the rest of my family. Oh, thank you so much for that ending, Al. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show today, and it's great to talk to you, and I I hope you have a good meeting down there. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Al. Very powerful. It's been great to have Al on the show, hasn't it, Heidi? I mean, what great advice, and we know there's so many of you out there who um, are thinking about your faith at this time. Absolutely, and, and great words of wisdom. And, you know, for those of you out there that are not affiliated with an organized religion, you can be very, very spiritual and have a very strong relationship with God without being in an organized religion. So, very important. So, tune in again next week uh, for the Open to Hope show. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.